and welcome to Unhinged History, the history podcast where two friends compulsively learn a history story separately, then join forces and word vomit on top of each other the stories that we've just heard and learned. The visual you just gave me is wild. That's Teresa. I'm uh, Angie. Yeah, and that is Angie. Yeah. I am not the husband. I am the friend who tells no, but, stories. But right now the husband has lightsabers attached to his belt. So if that gives you any indication of my day. Godspeed. They like, how the hell are you? Well, I'm currently standing in the same room as a light as a lightsaber wielding Jedi who is getting ready to walk out the door for church. So, I mean. That is word salad. Do you smell toast? (laughs) Uh, No, popcorn. Okay. Okay. Um, By the way, it was very, speaking of that statement, um, was chilling in my room reading a book and Hubs comes in. He gets near me and he's reclining, looking at stuff on his phone. And all of a sudden he jets up and he goes, is something on fire? Oh, gosh. I'm like, I'm not cooking anything. Why would I be in here if I hit something on the stove? And he runs through the house and he comes back and he goes, do you smell popcorn? Oh, no. And I'm like, okay, this, are you stroking out on me? What are we doing here, bud? (laughs) You're going to need to clear this up for me. Yeah, (laughs) there was no stroke. There was no popcorn. We were we were fine. Negative on both counts, but still, it was just one of those like, uh, but but like, but it was the end result that somebody had to go make popcorn after that because the few times that I've smelled popcorn, it's because someone else in the office, like three hundred feet away, has popcorn on. And then you must and, have popcorn because if you smell right. like chocolate chip cookies and there is no chocolate chip cookie in your vicinity, it is a bad time. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for understanding. All right. Are you ready for my story? Because it is totally unhinged and everything we've ever dreamed of. Well, I mean, hot damn, because I thought I was bringing that. But if you are, go. All right. Um, I'll start with my sources. Uh, I'm going to leave one out, though, because the title for it is just too good to to share to begin with. So um, you don't want me to take the headphones off so you can dump them all. No. Okay. (laughs) Carry on. You do you. All right. Who is Lady Muse? A tabular article. The flamboyant Lady Muse. It's a. It's by something called Kyle Chronicle. It was like a history, um, like, menagerie of delightful facts about this particular woman and England. Um, Do you want to come over, Valerie, the remarkable lady muse from the Londonist? Are you ready for this next one? That is a very specific headline. It is. Go ahead. Which is funny because it really has no, I don't know why they called it that. (laughs) Because it really had, there's nowhere in the story that it's ever said again. But banjo playing Victorian prostitute. <laughs> okay, so you are bringing the goods. <laughs> yep, that was a BBC article title. Um, of course it was. Yeah. <laughs> the um, Harmony in Pink portrait of Lady Muse. It's from the Frick collections from the the Frick in Frick New York, f- which Freak? Frick F R I C K. Okay. Yeah, it's a it's a special collections museum in New York. And um, are you ready for this very last one? You're going to love it. Your eyes are going to light up, I guarantee you. The London Beer Flood of 1814. Oh, thank God. <laughs> we don't talk about the Beer Flood of 1814 enough. No, we don't. And as soon as, as soon as I saw that, I was like, there's no way. There is no way we have been blessed with such a personality at, and a beer flood. No way. <laughs> Did you honestly so, not know about the beer flood? The beer flood was a mid-researched learned fact. And I was like, wait a minute, that's the beer flood in London. Like, I mean, there have been multiple, right? But like, that's the doozy. No way. And so I then had to sideline part of the story for just a second to talk about it because 
casino. It's it's the beer flood. You can't <laughs> exactly, skip exactly. over that. This is like when I heard pirates for the Battle of New Orleans, and it was like, yeah, I'm I'm going to sidebar this one. Yeah, the, I, I thought, okay, my initial thought was, you know what, I could actually make these two very separate stories, but it it's just too good to not give it together. So, <laughs> here we go. I am going to tell you the most delightful story of Valerie Susan Langdon. The BBC has her birth as 1847, and it's the BBC, so I'm going to go with it. Um, there are conflicting dates for her between anywhere between 1847 and 1852 that's a tighter range than some you know and i agree with defaulting to the bbc right like i thought it could be we've we've seen worse um 1847 to 1852 is not terrible so sometime within that time frame she was born not a ton is known um however the frick collection who houses one of her paintings says that she was born in 1852 and that she was the daughter of a Devonshire butcher. So, um, I don't know where they came up with that information, but they have it and they're who houses her portraiture. So I'm sure that they have more, you know, concrete evidence to support that. I just couldn't find it anywhere else. So there's that. Um, unfortunately, we don't know anything about her parents other than dad was a potentially a butcher or her childhood however it's what she does with herself later in life that i wanted to talk about anyways <laughs> by no, the I, 1850s i have ahead. a question for the we're yeah. talking about the word frick like is that is that a euphemism are they trying to avoid saying the word fuck are they like no no it's so the frick is like okay you know, um, specifically in the Victorian world, when you were a well-to-do family and you're, you would go on chore and you would collect all the things from, from the whole world, art and, and jewelry and architecture and things like that? Oh, yeah. Okay, so the Frick, it's the Frick family collection. Okay, okay. Because I, I have been trying to make meaning for this yeah, no. for longer than I should have. Anyhow. Sorry about that. I should have. That probably would have been the easiest way to explain what the frick was. <laughs> I mean, because <laughs> I could have just started with that. Yeah. No, you're fine. You're fine. This is why I'm here to interrupt. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for for interrupting. Um. So yeah, they they collect all the goodies, they bring them back, and then out of some labor of love, one either the wife or the husband builds a you know monumental building and stores all the house or houses all the collection of their goodies and then 75 years later it turns into a museum like we hear this story kind of a lot actually which is hail as old as time for rich people trying to get tax write-offs yeah really it is and when you think about it it's kind of funny um but anyway so by potentially the 1850s because she would have been about 10 by this point it may have been a little bit later they believe she was acting but we all know what acting in victorian england could have implied right do we i feel uninitiated in this one um think i mean because i'm trying to think of another good one victorians had had kind of a closet kink thing going on like i remember reading like an article that had excerpts on erotic literature samples from the victorian times and some of them talk about excess and body hair and it was very disconcerting (laughs) like okay so i felt so gross i agree with you on that um you're kind of on the right track so england is especially in this time in the couple hundred years before that is notorious for acting like i'm an actress could also imply i'm a prostitute at the age of 10 I don't think she was prostituting out at the age of 10. I think that there is some contradictory evidence about her younger life that she vehemently disputes. But because there's no real solid, like, um, paper trail, people are left to piece together, like, she may have been doing this by this time, but she was either born in 1847 or 1852, and sometime within the next 12 years, she goes to the stage, and she says 
that she very much was just an actress, like a classy okay. actress, like you would imagine. Um, plays, not plays, plays, plays. exactly. Yes. Um, either way, it's it's pretty clear that if she was actually an actress, she wasn't an actress for a terribly long time before she met her husband. But before I get there, the BBC has this great quote. She claimed to have been an actress prior to her marriage, but accounts imply that she worked as a banjo-playing prostitute and barmaid under the name of Val Reefs at the Casino de Venison in Holborn. I mean, look, little of column A, little of column B. <laughs> Tax records Just... weren't exactly watertight. Okay, um, not only that, but like, the image in my mind of a banjo-playing prostitute is pretty much... Ding, 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 like, <laughs> I could not get that out of my mind. I absolutely love it. And I also believe that that might be a little bit true for at least one point in her life. And a little bit later in, in my story, you'll see why. Can I make a um, quick joke? Yeah. So the devil went down. That's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Get it? Yeah. Okay. Good job. <laughs> all right. That's all I had. It was beautiful. You did great. Or maybe the devil went down on Georgia. Okay, I'm done. That was too far. I oh, feel like wow. Okay. All right. You're going to have to add that explicit rating now. I, I can't take it off because occasionally one of us says shit. I know. Oh, my gosh. Don't choke on your Pepsi. Almost did. You almost took me out just then. Um. So are you familiar? Because I, I mentioned where she may have been working. Are you familiar with... um? dance halls in england at the time no but strangely i have been in a 1850s or a dance hall that was built in the 1850s but in oregon okay you know what i imagine they probably had similar problems and the only reason i bring this up is because so it's it's like i said she is said to have met her husband playing the banjo and a barmaid a side piece prostitute at the casino de venison in holborn and that was basically like holborn was the poorer end of town okay like i can't um, imagine that you put a brothel pub in the heart of the the high-end zip codes you know what i mean yeah, at least not that we visually can see from the outside, right? Um, right. I mean, you might call it a gentleman's <laughs> club, but you, there will be no banjos. Exactly. Um, but what's interesting about this, and I I looked into it because I was curious exactly what the Casino de Venison in Holborn was, because I didn't picture it like a casino we see today. So sure. basically, in England at the time... There were all kinds of dance halls and ranging from some guy playing in his kitchen to um, elite family homes that quote unquote taught dancing lessons. And the reason this is, is because it's not that it's like this enterprising thing where people are going to make a buku amount of dollars. So essentially these dance halls quote unquote is what I'm going to say they exist in pretty big numbers around sp specifically London at the time because of licensing and taxes this this checks doesn't it and it made me laugh so hard because the basic gist is somebody wants to provide a place for the young people to dance a place to congregate and have a good evening however licensing which i find to be a really funny way of like to, to me the upper echelon and the people that have the the housing in the space to say that their home is quote-unquote a dance school and they hire like maybe some really bad dancers but the idea is we're teaching these young people how to be elite society members simply because that gets them off the hook Mm. i'm here for it you know let's do right. it <laughs> we need more of that in the world 
Right? I think it's funny that it is specific to the dance hall, too, and not like we're trying to actually educate people. <laughs> we're literally just trying to throw a party, but they're not they're not letting us, so we're going to do it like this. <laughs> to quote the Beastie Boys, you have to fight for your right to party. You know, it makes me wonder if perhaps the Beastie Boys knew this about <laughs> Victorian England dance halls when they wrote that song. Um... So anyways, sorry for that sidebar, but it made me laugh so hard when I was looking into it because that's just wild. So she says, though, that she never worked for the Casino de Venison. She actually met her husband while she was acting in a far more respectable, respectable place in Brighton, you know, where the rich go to take a day, take a picnic, enjoy, take in the evening, if you will. Would you care to know who her husband is? I feel Go like ahead. we've all lied about where we met somebody. No, mom, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't meet them at the the club that you told me explicitly not to go to in Southeast Fresno. No, no, I, the I met them at the library, <laughs> which yeah. isn't the name of a bar, but it will be now because that's freaking genius on your part. Not the mean, library. There is a bar called the Office, and the receipts that you get have itemized for different drinks. That are named like the stapler, uh, pens, pencils, copy paper. Are you serious? We also have a The Office. It has been a standing bar for as long as I can remember. But I have no idea what the receipts look like. So now I have to go check. That is, I, my my brain is so in love with that idea. Um, so her husband, because now we're at the part where she gets really entertaining. She meets her husband, Sir Henry Bruce Muse. Who, by the way, has little more than a Wikipedia page about himself online. Like, nothing is known about him, but there's all kinds of stuff known about her. And I think that's amazing. I mean, anytime we can subvert the patriarchy by knowing about the wife. And and not the husband. Like, truly delightful. Um, so, I will say this, though. He was a baronet with a country home called theobalds he when he inherits his father's title he also inherits a brewery um it's fun to say i guess in a terrible way that he inherited he took over the brewery and inherited the title a little bit early because his dad went insane oh Um, syphilis will do that you know oh yeah (laughs) yeah i thought you would appreciate knowing that it was syphilis I don't like being connected to syphilis <laughs> as a positive. <laughs> um, typically it's not, but in this case, you're the one that's always like, ah, syphilis. <laughs> I mean, like, it's very rarely ergot poisoning when you look at history. But how common is it syphilis? You're not wrong. It's like um, 100% accurate, right? And when I read that, I was like, there's no way. There's no way that this is an element of my story today. Right? I have to share it. I can't I mean, this just gloss is, over it. This is the equivalent of Dr. House going, it's not lupus. But for you to be like, it's syphilis. I'm like, of course, this checks. Doesn't it? Yeah. Right. Like, roll Absolutely. the die. It's syphilis or they lost the war. Yep. Exactly. Um, so dad, like I said, dad goes out a little early because of syphilis. So he inherits both the brewery and the title. Remember that Henry's middle name is Bruce. As in, like, Robert the Bruce of Scotland? Okay, okay. okay so they're the, they're the Scotland Bruces. <laughs> of the Scotland Bruces. Mm-hmm, you know. Yeah. The king and all. Um, so, as I was reading about that, like, I thought that was just a really fun fact. But that's when I learned this. That same brewery that he inherits is the Horseshoe Brewery, who in 1814 fell to be the unlucky victims of the London Beer Flood. Oh. <laughs> so this mm-hmm. is post-flood. This is before the syphilis took his father full down before the dark this, path. Yep. His dad was yep. cognizant during this fun time. I Yeah. Actually, would, I, would his dad have had the thing? Because that you think about how many years it takes to inherit stuff. Would his dad have been owner of the brewery or would he have been Um, next in line well it's 1814 and he takes ownership um 
the younger Mr. or the husband, Mr. Bruce, takes ownership of the brewery between 1876 and 1880. Yeah, so that's 60 years. So, yeah, no, maybe he was the heir then at that point. The dad was. So this is yeah. his grandfather's estate at the moment. Um, And the London history- Historian's blog has this to say, and I'm just going to read it because it is absolutely perfect. Back then, London's drinking classes were supplied by dozens of competing breweries dotted around the capital and its outskirts. The competition between some of these manifested itself by their building even bigger vats. Prior to going into commission, the brew houses, as PR stunts, would typically use these massive containers to host swanky dinners for their directors and their guests. I did not know that. This is the equivalent of when to bring more awareness to dinosaur fossils they hosted a dinner inside the reconstructed skeleton of a dinosaur yep same exact feel yeah because the dinosaur would be a cooler atmosphere but i mean a big beer vat is also decent dinosaur in the big beer vat i'm here for this i'm here for it too idle rich what are you gonna do um so rich Exactly. (laughs) The London Historian's blog goes on to say that the monolithic porter vat of Mercer's, of Mr.'s Muse & Co. had a capacity of over a million pints. On the faithful day at about 6 p.m., one of the steel bands weighing over 500 pounds split, allowing allowing a pressure explosion that could be heard five miles away. Ugh. The tsunami of beer smashed down the brewery wall, destroyed immediately two houses, and severely damaged many others, plus the Tavistic Arms. The beer then flooded. State Farm, Um, (laughs) I know you've seen a thing or two, so you know a thing or two. But have you seen this? But, um, sorry, you were saying, I, I just, I really... You really had to go, you know, I don't blame you. Um, so... The beer then flooded the basement of the rooms and numerous adjacent buildings. A huge throng immediately assembled, many of whom had the presence of mind to harvest the beer in pots, pans, teapots, jars, and bottles. Anything that could come to hand. Oh, this is the whiskey fire all (laughs) over again. All over again. Many others simply embarked on an immediate free piss. (laughs) Free piss? Free piss up, yep. So my guess is they're just peeing in the beer. That's the image I have. I, I, dude, I get that boys like to do things like climb to high buildings and urinate over the sides of them. Why? I don't know. Um, I listen. What, what, what? I want to believe perhaps we have an English listener that can, can confirm the term piss up, but, um, I, I'm taking it as exactly it is what it is. I'm confused and disgusted. And I don't know if I want clarification. Me either. So they okay. said it smelled like blood for months. Blood? No. Beer doesn't. <laughs> I said the wrong word. <laughs> it was so worth it for the look on your face, though. I don't know if it was worth it. Nothing about this is satisfying. Do you remember the guy that ate a puppy? You're never going to live that down. I'm or never going to live it, it down. <laughs> I'm never going to let you down or give you up. Okay. Just because of Terraria. Anyhow, so it smelled like beer, I presume? Please say beer. Or was there so much pee that it smelled like like beer for months? Why blood came out of my mouth? I don't have a good reason for it. It just did. I'm very concerned for your mental health if blood is what fell out of your mouth. Well, okay. Think about the size of my screen. I don't. I, I glanced. Helping. I saw the bee. I said blood. Here we are. Okay. I. I'm Sorry. Concerned for the rest of the story. This is foreshadowing. It's as not. As it's not. Say. It's really not. Do you want to okay. just scratch no, that and start no, again? No. 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 Carry okay. on, please. That's. I want you love that to part, understand huh? um, what I'm in for, and <laughs> why I make the faces I make. Well, you're gonna be so disappointed when you find out blood's not involved again. <laughs> I, relieved is the word we're looking for. Relieved. Oh. Okay. Sorry. Um, So, yeah, it smelled like beer for months. 
To quote the Londonist, when Sir Henry married his bride, he married her in secret, and it caused scandal. But while she was obliged to live always outside of polite society, the impediment, ne impediment never prevented her from enjoying a flamboyant and fascinating life. And did she? After being shunned by his family, because essentially when they married her, his family was like, oh, hell no. Mm -mm. Nope. And they were mean to her and <laughs> they were rude to her, but she does what all boss babes do and had them written out of the will later in life. So get I love it. That. I love that. When in Me doubt, too. kick him in the pocketbook. So she did. Uh, now, please allow me to tell you some more of her delicious escapades. Um, remember that her and her husband are super rich. So what do you do when you're super rich and your family shuns you? Do you have any ideas? What would you do? I, I mean, I would probably do a lot of things like lots of trips abroad, lots of very big things. If I already had like a name in theater, like I would become even more eccentric because everybody already hates me. So I don't have a reputation to protect. I'm loving this for you. I really am because that's exactly what she does. Um, she kills him with her eccentricities. <laughs> her, she Please kills move aside them with for her... this taxidermied polar bear that I picked up from a vintage <laughs> antique shop. I don't believe in going for any more, but this one's already been preserved, so it's good. You are on it. She persuades her husband to purchase Christopher Wren's Temple Bar a 17th century structure designed to celebrate the Stuart dynasty. It covered the whole road. She actually had it taken brick by brick from its original home to being placed outside their their house. Um, because she, it's she too wanted... It's hard to stumble back from the, their bar. I want to bring it out to the front yard. She wanted... To have a grandiose place for her guests, such as the Prince of Wales and Mr. Churchill himself, to enter when they came a-calling. And they did come a-calling. She partied with the prince. So, her family-in-law can pretty much stuck it. Like when, prince when of you're Wales in what year? I just, I just need to know this. Uh, prince Albert. Okay. Uh, who would later become King Edward the Seventh. So that prince. Okay. Mm hmm The seventh and not the eighth, are you sure? Wait. Five, six, seven. He wasn't the king for very long, like maybe a decade. Okay. I I ask because the story I I cover in involves the Prince of Wales, but next month. That's awesome. <laughs> anyway, carry on. Carry on. Um so if that's, you know, that's not crazy enough for you, how about a swimming pool? She has that installed at her house in Victorian England, which is probably not something you see every day. It's a bit anachronistic. Well, it, um, and if that's not disco enough for you, she also installs an indoor roller skating rink. Did they, did, I guess they did have roller skates <laughs> then, obviously, but I, I don't know, like. My brain says when I was six, I wanted rollerblades, so roller skates were the year before. But I know that that is clearly not the case, but I feel like that's a hundred years different from where it should be. When I read it, all I could think of was ice skating rink. And I had to read it multiple times from multiple sources to understand that it was a roller skating rink. <laughs> but it makes sense when you think about it. If we already had roller skates, roller, like, Ice skates, roller skates wouldn't be too far from the imagination. Daystore Daily says that they were invented in nine or eighteen nineteen. So there you had it by a French Wild, inventor. Huh? And that was three wheels in line. So those were roller blades. That's crazy. So the and roller blades were first, huh? Which doesn't make sense. Like. I cannot wait to take that information to my husband. It looks like 1863 is the, the roller skate as you think of it. 
with the I'm four wheel two and two yeah, yeah yeah i feel like i i should stop and actually read this article as opposed to like scroll 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 number <laughs> that well okay so yeah so our victorian friend is roller skating around her estate <laughs> and according um, to this like by the 1880s many people preferred to skate in rinks mainly in new england so there you okay, go. I'm I'm gonna pay attention to you now. Now we know, huh? I I, I really didn't think it was gonna be the roller skates that threw you off. I'm so delighted that it was. <laughs> the the um, book did it first. Sorry. <laughs> uh the other thing that she had in her estate um was a gun room, and that's probably why we have information on her now, because in the last three to five years one of her rare 28 bore rifles went up for auction. So attached to that comes interest in like a renewed interest in the person. Right. Yeah. So thankfully it came up for auction in the last five years. So now all of us are like, Oh, Hey, what about, what about where did it come from? Here are my next two and probably my favorite bits. No, the whole thing is my favorite bit. She has said to have once attended a hunt on elephant back. That is exciting. Could you imagine? I'm thinking like Downton Abbey, you know, when they're all mounting the horses and the, and the dogs go running. Could you imagine Lady Muse literally stomping up to the point, to the start point on her elephant? <laughs> if polite society is going to show everybody you, else on horses while I come up on elephant. Yeah, that's exactly what she did. Okay, not everybody was on elephant. Just her. <laughs> I'm I'm for this. Hundred percent, me too. Um, I wish there was like a painting of this because the imagery is just absolutely gold. But let's not let that be uh, her most flamboyant moment, although it's up there. But at one point, her sporty open carriage was pulled by zebras. Now, I mean. We need more. Not what? that. Living her best life. I, like, I just want to wake up in the morning and be like, you know what I want today, darling? I want a pack of zebras. Can you zebra me? I want to be pulled about town. I want to go to tea with Clarice um, with my zebras. I went to see the menagerie at Tower, at the Tower of London, and I saw stripy horses. Zebras? Edward, I ask you. I need them. I need <laughs> yes. more. I need a team. Just pull my carriage. Them. Now. Let's go shopping. And uh, so she did. <laughs> and I love that for us. Not just her, for us too, because we get to know it. <laughs> so let's not th forget, though, that she, because of her richness and her Englishness, she was also a patron of the arts. And How could her you husband not be? I know, right? Her husband had three paintings commissioned of her, two of which are on display. The third was destroyed by the artist after a <clears throat> kerfuffle and falling out. The artist in question is James McNeil Whistler, who is considered one of the greatest of his generation. Um, I think you would know who he was immediately upon seeing his image. So if you would like, I would love to screen share with you. Um, please, please. Now, is he the one who also painted Whistler's mother? Yes. Okay. See, I so, am not a completely uncultured swine. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna show you and hit share. So here we have Whistler's mother, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's the painting that we all know Whistler's like that's hit as far as I think Americans are concerned, like that's what we know to make him Yeah, famous, Whistler's right? mother, the old woman in what looks like the puritanical headdress you just see her profile she just mm -hmm. looks aged and in black with that white headdress which is just it, i would have complaints i'd be like whistler son why could not have you made me look more beautiful why is it just my profile darling i should be glad uh, what I think is interesting about this and I, I've seen this painting like a thousand times before but the drapery looks so modern like straight out of like 1990 <laughs> and i didn't notice that till i was uploading this picture to my story but here are 
the paintings he did of her. Here's the first one. It's called Harmony in Pink. And it's all the way on the next page. So it's Harmony in Pink and Gray. Look at Lady Muse. She has curves. She's serving <laughs> bust. But it is covered because she is a lady. And she has got this <laughs> saucy glare from underneath her hat that just says, come try and see my eyes. Mm -hmm. uh, here's the other portrait he did of her. And all I could think of is Breakfast at Tiffany's, the original. Oh, yeah, but with a huge-ass ermine coat. Mm-hmm. And that has, she's got this, like, sparkly diamond, uh, what would you call it, a cornet, maybe? Or, I don't really know. I mean, it could be that. It could just be a golden headband. I mean, either way, she is well accessoried. Yes, indeed. Um, so this particular piece was part of his dark collection, which I think is amazing. He went through this like moment in life where he just really worked in black. And this is part of that, which I think is awesome. This particular painting hangs in the Honolulu um, Museum, which I think is interesting. <laughs> um, did not see that coming. Like, how did you make it all the way to Honolulu? But okay, I'm here for it. And then... Uh, this little ditty I love so much. Okay, so right here they are seated. <laughs> Her and Hubs are seated outside. Um, he is seated in front with what looks like he see they're they're both seated. Well, he's seated on the ground. Uh, he has a rifle in one hand that is also between his legs. Um, he is looking off into the middle distance. There is a mm -hmm. mastiff looking in the opposite way. Um, and then she is seated comfortably behind him, banjo in lap, strumming a ditty. Which makes me think that she was, in fact, a banjo-playing prostitute. <laughs> but for all we know, literally the only exam or the only evidence is that picture, and they're just like, that banjo-playing hussy? Yeah, I mean, so the other thing I thought... And honestly, given everything else we know that she's done, I wonder if maybe she, for whatever reason, just knew how to play the banjo, but like started the rumor about herself for storytelling value. I mean, oh, no, Sarah no, Bernhardt did that kind of stuff. Right. Like, if I'm a well-to-do lady with nothing to do, um, except for collect fine things and have a good time and screw with my in-laws that hate me, I might let it slip that it's possible I was a banjo playing barmaid. But I digress. <laughs> that that is at probably... the age of 10. The, yeah. The seasoned uh, is... banjo playing barmaid hussy. <laughs> that is my favorite historical picture, I think, so far. Like, everything about it. I think it wouldn't be as entertaining if I didn't know her story. But knowing her story makes it so much funnier to me. Um. So the those are the works. Well, other than the photograph. the works were done by whistler right mm -hmm. okay so they had a falling out and he destroyed the final painting so unfortunately we will never get to see that part which makes me a bit sad but then she goes on to do the wonderful thing that all of our english colonizing friends do and she becomes an avid collector of antiquity Her i bet collection, you she ate mummies Oh, it's probably of did. the time period. She was she eating mums. Did. I'll get there. Um, and then you can you can take with that information what you will. Um, her collection included almost two thousand Egyptian artifacts. Oh gosh, boy, I I called it. <laughs> I called sure it. Did. Um, supposedly, and I don't believe this one, but there is a tall tale that she reputedly had a cursed mummy in her collection and it was sent overseas and it was the one that sank with the titanic the one that got away from the spice cabinet <laughs> yeah i don't know that i believe that one more likely um i think actually her mummy ended up being sold that sounds so awful to say but the mummy she possessed probably ended up being sold to william randolph hearst um this, this story really is the who's who of colonizers. Isn't it? Yeah. Um, there is. So 
if you're curious, her mummy's name, if I can get the correct spelling of it, is N-E-S-I-M-N, Nissims. And there is actually a ton of information specifically about him and her her specific to her Egyptian collection information online, which is really awesome. That's really awesome, but it's also like, I mean... <laughs> I've got so many feelings about this because like, you know, the Victorians are the reasons we don't have mummies because they literally ate them. And here we are like, we know a lot about hers. It's like, yeah, because they were people. They had lives. Yeah. And I hated saying that, but like, how else do you, the mummy she stole, <laughs> she paid for it, but it's a, it's a person. Yeah. I, I'm really conflicted about it. It's one of those like, it's like dark tourism. You're morbidly excited about it, but you also feel really dirty about the whole concept. Yeah, like I need to go wash my hands for sure. I need like, to bathe. I got to go sit in the shower and stare Cry. at the wall. Yeah, like there's going to be some interesting feels that the therapist and I unpack next week. Yeah, and you know the thing that I think is interesting about it is oftentimes, at least this is my impression, when people talk about like the Victorian era, for example, when there was all this exploration and all this bringing home of goodies from all over the world. And the excuse for it is, you know, well, we we collected it and, and now it's beautiful and it's going to stay forever safe because it's in a museum or it's in a private collection. Um, so now we're the stewards of these antiquities. Well, who are the stewards of those antiquities before? Like, yeah, how, can't you how are they you so found well them? preserved? that you should be able to get a hold of them. Right. Like, do you not think that they were doing just fine where they were and that the people, like, for example, Egypt, that they couldn't be cared for? Because I feel like they were doing just fine and they are especially doing fine with it right now. So, like, I I don't fully understand how you can get away with saying, like, it's because we collected them all. They're in such good state. Mm, Is it? (laughs) But... That's just my, that's my hot take. It drives me nuts. Um, sadly, though, she was widowed in 1900. And and um, she spent the next 10 years of her life continuing to use her substantial fortune for a good time and also to help others. During the Second Boer War, she heard that there were British forces under siege in Ladysmith. And so she ordered at her own expense, six naval cannons and sent them directly to Lord Roberts in South Africa. Um, offering after her offer of assistance was rejected by the war office in London. She was not having it. She's like, okay, forget you. I'm just going to handle this myself and sent the guns herself, which I think is, I mean, if you've got the money, right? Right. <laughs> do the thing well after the war was over a one sir hedworth lambton l-a-m-b-t-o-n lambton uh you know i'm i'm not going to be the one to correct your sayings or your spelling or your pronunciation Sir hedworth lambton the commander of the naval brigade that was at lady smith literally came in person to thank her for her gifts because they made all the difference for them Wow. She was so taken with him and having no children of her own immediately made him the heir to her to her estate. <laughs> Thank you for the cannons and the ability to retire. Uh the only thing that he had to do in order to become the heir to her estate do you do you have an idea of what it might be? Because it okay. is the most boss thing ever. I absolutely love it uh i don't know this could be anything from take her on a trip to some area and serve as her bodyguard to um write a scathing letter to her in-laws about like (laughs) how they how he they they are missing out from this woman just because they slighted her like you know the whole pretty woman you've made a big mistake huge mistake yeah, no, all she had all he had to do was change his last name to hers. So how do I spell that one more time? <laughs> M E U X. 
And when she died on December 10th of, excuse me, December 20th of 1910, got my dates backwards, he willingly changed his name by royal warrant and inherited the estate and a substantial interest in the Mew Brewery. I love this for him. Right? Um, he, he does some pretty cool things. Um, two more fun facts. The Muse Brewery, why can't I say the two words together? Muse Brewery was founded in 1764. Um, it was actually, it finally, so it was founded and then it was moved into the Horseshoe Brewery building site where we know that the Great Flood happened. The Great Flood. The London flood happened mm-hmm. and then it after her care it went under a number of different merges and takeovers before finally ceasing trading in 1961 that's a decent run like oh um and i love this part according to tadler lady muse left an indelible mark on the property the estate that was hers which today is known as the award-winning Birch Hotel, and her vivacious memory lives on in the Valerie's and the flagship Zebra Riding Club restaurant, headed up by Chef Robin Robin Gill. And they, what is the love chef's name again? I just is it because Robin it... Gill, R O B I N G I L L. Okay. And um. I've decided that I'm going to start living my life as flamboyantly as this woman, and I'm going to need some zebras. Okay, but in the absence of the funds to go out and purchase the permits and acreage needed to support the horses, are we just painting them on the sides of the car? How are we are we leaning into this early <laughs> on? I haven't worked out the logistics there. You'd have to be workshopped, okay? Okay, I'll I'll, I'll start. Do not ruin this for me. I'm not going I to. Like I'm I'm in for it. I'm joining okay. alongside. Okay. And while we sit in our in our carriage being pulled by zebras, we'll have a pet polar bear. I don't and, want a pet polar bear, um, they're endangered. But again, I did find a taxidermied specimen specimen from the 70s that is massive and only seven thousand dollars. Actually, you know what? Scratch the pet polar bear. What I want is someone to come around with us in a polar bear suit. That's convincing enough to scare people. I'm here for this. And like wear a top hat and a monocle. Polar bears are massive though. I don't know if you recognize. It's we can have a specially made carriage. Okay. And six zebras. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the story of Lady Muse. And I love her there. I'm so glad that like. You know how oftentimes we get we get people that we're like absolutely in love with and they have this like just either heart-wrenching moment or this like oh my god that's disgusting moment hers the whole time was just like okay so my in-laws slided me so I wrote them out of the will <laughs> and it's like okay this is tea talk and we're here for it so then what happened yes like she is the epitome of exactly what I thought about eccentric flamboyant london in the victorian era and i'm 1000 percent here for it so that's my story i love it i'm sorry it's so chaotic i got to learn about roller skates which i didn't see happening today you're welcome <laughs> i don't think we have time to go through my story that because is that that was delightful but also lengthy that was a thorough <laughs> portraiture I was aiming for thorough portraiture. I mean, I could not have scored more when I scored the heir to the London beer flood. I mean, really. <laughs> I mean, you had me at banjo beer made sex worker. <laughs> I just. Okay, here's the thing. Okay, so maybe that might have been a heartbreaking moment of life or not her not her pinnacle moment. But what? <laughs> What if I'm, for me, I'm choosing to believe she loved every second of it. Like, I'm going to become a wealthy heiress one day and I'm going to start little rumors about myself that may or may not be corroborated in a hundred years. But in the meantime, I know how to play the banjo. I can sling a few beers. I'm an actress. Truly. 
And I mean, yeah. you know, look, your family's going to say the things they're going to say about you, whether you married exactly. into them or you you, were, you grew up into them. But And at the end of the day, this is how I took it. At the end of the day, does it really matter? Because her husband clearly adored her. So, like, who cares what the in-laws think? He's having portraits commissioned of her. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> So I think they probably had a really great time together. There's stories about their, they had an estate, like, uh, you know, on a country estate where they would host all their friends for like massive game weekends. And I think that that's probably what that photograph of them sitting outside with the Mastiff is from. But like the amount of publicity and people that they drew to them was so high that their daily like their notation of of housing and and benefiting their friends is like in the paper like oh they shot 26 deer today da, 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 because victorian england needs that kind of gossip <laughs> right well, i mean so and I that was news time. that was news yeah right? absolutely and so i think they're having a good time and i'm 1000% here for her so when i become old and have zebras you'll know where it came from where the idea came from. Yeah. I'll still have questions about where you got the zebra. <laughs> they're probably not something I can just get. I don't think there's permits for that. Exactly. You know, you got to work I mean, in conjunction. Go you got to get some keepers, some some staff to help support and maintain them. Mm. Do you think it's the same kind of staff that would care for, like, the horses at Churchill Downs? Or do you think it's, like, a specialized staff? It has to be a specialized staff. Because you look at zookeepers in general... And they are a very unique education, you know, and you need to have that sort of background to be able to support that. Like if you're going to have a barn, then you have your equine specialists. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like your lady's maid is not going to be your valet or your valet, I think is the actual term, who is not going to be, you know what I mean? Like everybody's got a specialist job. Your driver is not your valet. Yeah, but now that you say that, I really want my lady's maid to be my valet. So, um, the, the valet's the man. So do you really want your lady's maid to be the one who puts the pants on your husband? Let's yeah, you know, this. now that you say that, you make a good point. The valet does belong to the man, huh? Yeah, I mean, um, these are very okay, specific I, traditional gender roles. I would like my lady's maid to be she who drives the zebras. Okay. The, so. co- the coachman. Your bullet for other duties as a sign just got a bit more adventurous. <laughs> In fact. Okay. <laughs> so on that fantastic note, if you've enjoyed hanging out with us, because we've enjoyed hanging out with each other. And by proxy, if you've made it this far, you are our people. Then we would love it if you click that subscribe button, if you rate and reviewed, if you dropped us an email, we are at unhinged.historypod at gmail.com. And we might even post something to social media occasionally about these things. Mm. And on that note, goodbye. Bye-bye.